the nativity. It's a movie you've seen, uh, decoration in your house. If you have kids, it might be a toy in your house. It's uh, an image that's on your cards. We've seen it over and over again. Anybody have more than five nativities in your house set up right now? More than five. Just count them in your head real quick. Any overachievers? My hand's up. My wife loves nativities. We have a pretty one. We have like, like a cherished one that like, kids aren't allowed to touch. Came from Israel. Uh, we have like the little people one that the kids do touch and like they play with. And you hit the little bu- the star on top and it plays like away in a manger, like really out of tune. Um, a lot of different nativities. Who's in your nativity at your house? Who's there? I mean, it's got to be Jesus and mom and dad. It's got to be Jesus and Mary and Joseph, like for sure. It's not a nativity unless there's a baby born. So that's in all of them. Who else is in the nativity? We got the shepherds, right? The shepherds are in the nativity. Um, maybe you have an angel connected. Um, and wise guys, right? The three wise men. The three wise men, the magi. Interestingly, I'm about to ruin everybody's life right now. You're going to have to go home and change your decorations. They weren't there. They weren't there. It's the only piece of the nativity where uh, they're a part of the Christmas story. They're part of the story of Jesus coming. But they were not there at the same time that the shepherds were. They came a little while after that. In fact, Matthew starts his book and, and he says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. I started thinking about the, uh, the, the Magi. They came from the east, and they, they followed the star. So I, I, I like to think that the star showed up when Jesus was born, and they started their journey. But they, they showed up where? To Jerusalem. They showed up to Jerusalem. So they weren't there in Bethlehem the night Jesus was, was born. They came just a little while later. But I got to thinking about, about the Magi. Where were they from? The, the, the word Magi has Persian roots. So they were east, and the Bible says they were east, and that's where Persia is. It's modern-day Iraq and Iran. Probably not as far east as India, probably not as far east as China. Around there, Iraq, Iran, Persian area. And I got wondering, this was was confusing to me. Why did the Magi come to worship? It would make maybe logical sense that high up people would come to visit a new king. If they knew that a new king was born of some land, it's plausible that they would want to go and give gifts to a new king to say, we're so, like, you know, diplomatic relations, here's some gifts, we're happy to be neighbors, and go back. But the Bible says that the Magi came to worship. What'd they know? What'd they know? I got to thinking about this. It's undoubtable, in my mind, that they knew something about the Jewish promise of the coming Messiah, because they set out to worship. 600 years before Jesus was born, the Jews went through the Babylonian exile. They were the best and brightest of Israel, got sent away to Babylon. We can read about that in the book of Daniel. Daniel was one of them. So were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard the stories. They were exiles into Babylon, and they took roots there. 
And the prophet Jeremiah said, you know, take roots, plant gardens. You're going to be here for a little while. Let your light shine. Pray for your city to prosper because if it prospers, you'll prosper. And a little while later, the Jews that were exiled in Babylon got to come back to Jerusalem. But not all of them left. Some of them stayed in Babylon. You know where Babylon is? Persia. Could it be that for 600 years, there was still a shining light in Persia because of the Babylonian exile, because the Jews, this terrible thing that happened, they remained a light, and there was still a shining light for, for the message of the coming Messiah in Babylon, the Babylon area? And here are these magi heard about it. They knew that there was going to be not just some king, but a Messiah. And so they set out to worship him. I find that fascinating. So the Magi came to worship this new Messiah that they had heard about from the Jews. And they went to Jerusalem, where they thought a king would be. And that's when they learned that Jesus wasn't that kind of a king. He was a, he's a humble man, and he was born in humble circumstances to become like us. Jesus was born in the place where animals were kept and laid in a food trough. So the Magi spoke to the King Herod, and then the story continues in verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I hope we can still be overjoyed when we find Jesus, when we realize where he's working, when we see him in our lives or we see him in working in someone else's life. Does that overjoy us? I hope, it, I hope it does. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three elements that you've heard about since you were a kid. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, we get the little picture that it was this little tiny, little tiny box. Maybe it was. That, that's what a present usually looks like, a little box. And it was a gift. Oh, a little, little cute box. But in the Old Testament, when people brought gifts to a king, like, I don't think of a little tiny box. I think of like, like a trailer, like, like, like a big cart. We don't know how much gold, frankincense, and myrrh came. But these magi came to deliver a gift to Jesus and, and worship him. The only thing that can be said definitively about the gold, frankincense, and myrrh is that these three gifts were fit for a king. They were luxurious. They were lavish. If you had access to frankincense and myrrh, you probably weren't driving a Chevy or a Ford. Like this is, this is high-end stuff. Very expensive, very luxurious. It was synonymous with luxurious. But I can't help but think that there may be other truths that, uh, that these three gifts teach us. The Bible doesn't say that this is what the, these three gifts symbolize, but they remind me, remind me of, of things that are in the Bible. So today I'd like to share five things the gifts tell us about Jesus. Five things that the gifts that the Magi brought, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, five things that those tell us about Jesus. Here's number one. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. 
Gold is for kings. Gold is for kings. And the frankincense and myrrh, like I said, it's synonymous with lavish, lavish luxury. I think it's really interesting here, Matthew, when Matthew begins his book, he doesn't start it the way Luke does. When Luke starts his book and he wants to talk about how Jesus came, Luke tells the Christmas story like we all know. You know, there, there was a, Caesar Augustus called a decree, they had to go to Bethlehem, there was no room for him in the inn, that whole story. That's in Luke. When Matthew starts his book, he starts by talking about the Magi from someplace else. Not Israel, king, to worship Jesus. What Matthew is, he's writing to Jews, and what he's trying to communicate is Jesus has not come just for the Jews. The first people to come worship, some of the first people to come worship Jesus were from Persia. He's not just king of the Jews. He's king of the Gentiles, too, everybody else. He's king of everybody else. And then his own people rejected him from childhood. King Herod was like, I'm going to kill him. And where'd they go? They had to go to Egypt because Jesus is king there too. That's the beginning of the book of Matthew because Matthew wants us to know Jesus is king. And he's king today for us. If you think about it, for us, if Jesus is king, that, that should mean something. It's not, you know, oh yeah, I'll sing. It's, not, it's not a line of a song. It should actually mean something. Our lives should react to the truth that Jesus is king. King means he's in charge. So it begs the question, is he? Is he in charge of your life? Like, this is a personal question. Is he in charge of your life? Jesus kind of alluded to this when he was talking with, with some disciples. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet do not do what I say? Ouch. What, what? Maybe Jesus, if he was hanging out with us, having cupcakes afterwards tonight, he'd say, why do, you, why do you sing that song? But you don't listen to me. Why do you sing that song? But you don't read your Bible? Like, I, 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 all the things I think are in there. Why do you sing those songs, but do that tomorrow? If he's king, you obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commands. You see, he's king, but he's not an oppressive king. Do what I say. That's not, that's not the kind of king we serve. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commands. It's not a conditional love either. It's just, it's just kind of a description of the kind of people that obey Jesus. The people that, that obey Jesus are the people that love him. If, if, if you love him, you obey. It's just, it's just a fact. That's just how it is. So I ask you today, what... To what degree is Jesus truly king in your life? And in what way does he want you to surrender just a little more? Lord, speak to us. All right, so I'm sharing five things the gifts tell us about Jesus. Here's number two. Jesus is God. Jesus is king. Number two, Jesus is God. Frankincense is one of the gifts that the, uh, that the wise men brought. And it was used at the time. It had a lot of uses, but one of the things that frankincense specifically was used, used for was incense during religious rituals, not just in the Jewish world. History tells us that in, and in Babylonian temples, they would go through two and a half tons of 
um, frankincense incense every year in their worship. So I think maybe this is a nod to the divine nature of this kid, this, this baby Jesus, this child Jesus. He's God. The Bible tells us this in Hebrews 1.3. It says, it starts out, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus is God. It's right there. But not only that, the verse continues, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So the third thing we can learn is right there. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. The gifts of the wise men nod to this. Let me break it down. Our sinful nature creates this gap between us and God. God wants to be together with us, but we've received a sinful nature that makes that impossible. And the only way to God, if you want a way to God, the only way to God is to deal with the problem in the middle that separates us. That's our sinful nature. We have to deal with our sinful nature. Anytime you're you're trying to put, pit Christianity up against some other religion, just ask yourself, what do they do with sin? Christianity is the only religion that bridges it, that solves it. Amen. So we have this gap. If we want a way to God, we have to deal with our sinful nature. We all have that gap. You see, Romans 3.23 says everybody's a sinner. Uh, everyone has, has sinned. We all fall short of God's Glorious standard. And that's such a big deal because Romans 6.23 says, yep, go, there it is. When you sin, the pay you get is death. So we have this gap. If we want a way to God, we have to deal with the sin because the pay we get because of the sin, the pay we get is death. But God gives you the gift of eternal life. That's because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. And Jesus paid that for us. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, knowing full well how big, of, how big of a scoundrel you and I are, Christ died for us. Jesus is the way. And his sacrifice, his, his dying for us makes it so that we don't have to die. Even though we deserve it, we don't have to die. We can surrender to him and have everlasting life. Sin can be dealt with because of Jesus, and we can be connected with him. If I'm making sense, say, mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So you may say, what's that have to do with the gifts that the Magi brought? I'm so glad you mentioned it. Frankincense and myrrh were commonly used as fragrance and spices that they would put on a dead body. Myrrh specifically is mentioned in the book of John as, as used during the embalming of Jesus' dead body. I think the gifts the wise men brought to Jesus, nod to Jesus' future, dying, his death, which made a way. So when I think of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, myrrh specifically, I think of Jesus being the way. Here's the fourth thing we can learn. From the gifts, number four, Jesus is the healer. Amen. Jesus is the healer. Frankincense and myrrh, both of them, were commonly used in the ancient world uh, for medical value. They had, they had medicinal value. 
it was believed, myrrh, it's argued, but myrrh was believed to be a pain reliever. They didn't have Tylenol, so when they needed something over the counter, it was like, can I have some myrrh? They'd get a little bottle of it, childproof, they had to push hard. Rough crowd, wow. <laughs> yeah, that got a laugh. Myrrh was used when Jesus was on the cross. If you recall, Jesus was on the cross. The, the soldiers offered Jesus a sponge with wine mixed with myrrh. It was pain reliever, and he, he wasn't going to drink it. He's like, no, nope, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endure this. It was a pain reliever. They believed it would take away the pain. So when I think of the gifts the wise men brought and how myrrh was used to take away the pain, it reminds me that Jesus can take away the pain. Never stops that. He can't undo the thing that happened to you. He probably won't even make you forget the thing that happened to you. You'll remember it. But you don't have to remember it in a painful way. It's like hard things are going to happen in our lives. It's going to happen. I have some scars on my knees that I got when I was a, a little kid and I fell off a bicycle. I still, I still have a scar. I still see it. I still remember falling. It was between... between um, uh, our old building, the old, the old church building, and the Waterloo Public Library, I slipped, messed my knee up real bad. I still have a big old scar on my knee. It doesn't still hurt. There's no pain. I can look at it. I can remember it. I can think about it. I have the memory of it. But I'm not still walking going, oh, 20 years ago I fell off my bike. It healed. It healed. But some of us are walking around. 60 years ago, my dad said, 20 years ago, my grandpa, when I was in school, the other kids, it hasn't healed yet. It hasn't healed yet. You'll still remember it, but Jesus is the healer, folks. It can be healed. You can, you can walk and remember it, not in a hurtful way. Because Jesus is the healer. It's what he did. He was born in, in a barn, and he, that's why Jesus doesn't, that's why Jesus always leaves the door open, if you didn't know. He's born in, thanks, my dad. <laughs> Got it, he's born, okay. Leaves the door open for It's a bad joke, all right. He was born where animals were, and, uh, and, and when he grew up and had, had ministry, uh, the Bible records what he did. He, it says, Matthew uh, 12, 15, the word says, a large crowd followed him, and he healed all that were ill. He healed them all, and he's never stopped. He's never stopped since. Jesus is still the healer. He's still in the healing business, and he'll heal today. The first step, if you need that kind of healing, the first step is to believe and trust what Jesus did. Put your life in his hands. Say, all right, God, I'll give you a chance. And he can heal. He can heal. The fifth thing that the gifts teach us about our faith is this. Number five, Jesus is exactly the gift you need. He's exactly the gift you need. See, there was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were luxurious, lavish, expensive gifts. All three were very valuable. In this little, little piece of, 
of the, the story of Jesus often gets mixed, gets missed. That was a huge infusion of wealth right there. We know Mary and Joseph didn't have a lot of money when Jesus was born. If they did, somebody would have kicked somebody else out of their house and been like, okay, yeah, we've got to make room for the rich guy. Mary's going to have a baby. The rich, the rich people need... They didn't have a lot of money when Jesus was born. And later on, we see absolutely no indication in the Bible that Jesus or Mary was wealthy at all. None. So where did all that wealth go? Because they were given gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Have you ever thought about this? That was really, really valuable. The Bible gives a little clue, I think. Matthew 2.13. When they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Think about that. What if tonight an angel said, hey, I need you to get up. Somebody's after your child's life. I need you to wake up. Get your things around. You got to go to Chile. You need plane tickets. You've got to pack some stuff. It sure would be nice if you had some help. In that day, you probably did need some help. And Joseph had to get things around. They had to get animals. They had to do the travel. Maybe they needed gifts along the way because they, they didn't have like a plane. They didn't have a plane ticket or there was no Amtrak station in Israel. They had to figure out a way. That was an expensive trip. And then once they got to Egypt, they had to get settled. They had to manage. And then they have to get back. Where did the gold, frankincense, and myrrh go? I think it was exactly the gift that Mary and Joseph needed to keep baby Jesus alive because they had to hightail it out and go to Egypt. It was exactly what they needed. It funded their trip. It funded their journey. It was exactly what they needed at exactly the right time. And that makes me remember that Jesus is exactly what you need. Right now, it's, he's exactly what you need. If you don't know Jesus, he's exactly what you need. He will change your life, put you on a path that may not be easy. Oh, it's better. It's better. You'll never be alone. Ever. If you know Jesus, he's still the exactly the gift that you need right now. We don't have a God that has no clue what we're going through. We serve a God that, like, like God. Jesus is that kind of God. He was in heaven at the beginning. In the beginning was, the earth was formless and void. And God said, let there be light. Imagine baby Jesus, light. Like that's the God that we serve. And he stepped into humanity. And the first bed he ever slept in was a, on top of animal food, on top of some straw, wrapped up in mummy clothes is what it was, swaddling clothes was what they wrapped, um, wrapped a dead body with. How humble of a birth was that? That's the kind of God we serve. Jesus Christ, who knows 
understands the struggles that we go through. He's exactly the gift you need. And you can take anything to him. You need him today. My prayer is that you would open your heart to him today.